You are listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Ah, 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 ah. Don't touch that dial. Listen to Blondie, brought to you by the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Extra, extra! For extra flavor, get Camel. Extra! For extra mildness and extra coolness, get Camel. Extra! For extra smoking for pack, get Camels, the cigarette that gives you the extras. Before we drop over to the Bumstead house to visit Chick Young's famous characters, Blondie and Dagwood, a word from the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Ladies and gentlemen, the story on Camel Cigarettes is short and to the point. Slow-burning camels give you the extras. Extra mildness, extra... Pardon me, Mr. Goodwin. Did you say extra mildness? Well, yes, camels are more than mild. You see, their slower way of burning means freedom from the drying and irritating qualities of excess heat and too fast burning means extra mildness. Camels also give you extra coolness, extra flavor, and extra smoking per pack. In recent impartial laboratory tests, camels burn 25% slower than the average of the 15 other of the largest selling brands tested. Slower than any of them. And that means... Excuse me, Mr. Goodwin. That uh, extra smoking per pack... Oh, 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 I see. Camels burn 25% slower than the average, so... Yes, that's the figure, and that means a smoking plus equal on the average to five extra smokes per pack. Camels are the cigarette of costlier tobaccos. Penny for penny, camels are your best cigarette buy. And now for our weekly visit with the Bumsteads. Tonight, on the living room table, we find a pair of tickets that read... The J.C. Dithers Construction Company's annual get-together and social, dining, dancing, and mammoth entertainment at mid-one. It looks like the Bumsteads were going out for a big evening, but here comes Dagwood stumping out of the kitchen with one shoe in his hand. Dagwood, where on earth are you? Here I come, honey. We'll have to hurry, dear. Did you find your other shoe? Yeah, uh, it was in the tool chest uh, out in the kitchen. Oh, what on earth was it doing in there? Just lying there. Uh, I must have been a little absent-minded that time. What time? The time I couldn't find the tack hammer and use my shoe to tack down that little place in the linoleum. Oh, I never saw such a man using his good shoe to hammer tack. Just the heel, honey. It's my patent leather shoe, and I don't get to wear it much anyhow. Well, now that you've found it, why don't you put it on? I was going to, honey. I was just going upstairs to put it on. Uh, can't you put it on down here? I usually put on my shoes in our bedroom, and just because we're going out to that social, I'm not going to get all excited and try any new experiment. Oh, Dagwood, I'm uh, so glad you're wearing a black tie tonight. I'm wearing more than that. I'm wearing a stiff shirt. Of course, Dagwood, but black tie is a polite way of saying that it's kind of semi-formal and the men wear dinner coats. Oh, you mean tuxedo, mm -hmm. huh? Yeah, most of the guys had to rent theirs, and uh, they think Mr. Dithers is getting too high hat. Well, I guess if he gives everybody a free party, the least they can do is to dress properly for it. Now, hurry, Dagwood, yeah. and don't forget to put on your collar. Yeah. Hey, that reminds me. Where's my back collar button? Oh, it's in the little box in your top bureau drawer, the one with your class in it. No, nope. it isn't. I looked in there. Oh, company, just when we're going out. Now, I'll answer the door. You go hide. Yeah. I mean, go upstairs and don't let anyone see you half-dressed. I can't get dressed till I find that collar button. Well, look in the medicine cabinet in the bathroom. In with my hairpin. It's not in there either. I look. Well, look in the shirt you're wearing. Oh, why, Mr. Dithers, come in. Uh, thanks. Hey, how did that get in here? Huh? Does he mean me? Oh, no, Mr. Dithers. He means his collar button. Was it in your shirt, Dagwood? Yeah. Uh, who was that that came in? Mr. Dithers. Yeah. Oh, I'll be 
right down. He says he'll be right down. He ought to be right down at the hall now to welcome the talent. Oh, uh, is Dagwood on the entertainment committee? On it, he is it. Didn't he tell you? Why, no. But of course, Dagwood is so modest about what he does. You mean he forgot as usual. Well, I only appointed Dagwood the committee for entertainment because I thought you'd help him to pick out the vaudeville acts. Oh, are we going to have vaudeville? Well, I hope so. I gave him $300 to buy talent with. Well, I'm sure he'll have a wonderful show for that money. You're very generous, Mr. Dithard. A fool and his money are soon parted. I start out to have sandwiches and coffee down at the warehouse, and I end up by hiring a lodge hall, complete with a stage and dressing rooms, and a ten-piece band of music that I have to feed, along with 400 employees. Did you ever see musicians eat? No, but I suppose they do. Worse than a swarm of locusts. And that's not all. What else, Mr. Dithard? The actors. Actors never eat before a show. They wait till afterwards. And then how they eat. It must be very expensive, but it'll make a lot of goodwill. Then there's the guests, the mayor and the chief of police. Goodness, are they coming? Yeah, the mayor's coming to watch the show, and the chief's coming to keep his eye on the mayor. Two more big eaters. Well, uh, Dagwood and I could have a little something before we leave home. No, there won't be time. Just see that Dagwood doesn't beat the mayor to the table, that's all. Where is Dagwood? Oh, he'll be down any minute now. Uh, don't worry, Mr. Dithers. I know everything will be just wonderful. And I bet Dagwood's vaudeville show will have the audience laughing from start to finish. Yeah, <laughs> but I want to make sure they're laughing with us and not at us. Oh, sir! Yes, sir. Well, tonight, tonight. I'm glad you realize it. That vaudeville show all lined up? Oh, sure. Uh, sure. I want to double-check you on that, Bumstead. Uh, will you excuse me, Mr. Dithers? I want to be all ready to go when you and Dagwood get through your talk. Yeah, go ahead. Now, Bumstead, huh? tell me about those acts. Well, they, uh, they're perfectly good acts, but I, I want to surprise you. Now, listen, Bumstead, huh? this is no time to play peekaboo. I've got my reputation and $300 at stake here. Let's get down to brass tacks. Well, like I told you... Oh, Bumstead! <laughs> How many times must I tell you to save time and money by using business language? In business matters, don't say, like I told you. Say, as per our recent conversation. Now, wait. Here's our memos on the subject. Oh, yeah. Memo one. Uh. From JCD to DB. Subject, fun and frolic. Text, in our conversation of even dates, what have you done to provide entertainment for forthcoming social? I want something lively. Like an Earl Carroll show, only more dignified. You may spend 300 Well, I did. Memo two. From DB to JCD, subject vaudeville, text, Dear Mr. Dithers, listen, Mr. Dithers, I haven't done anything much yet because I've been busy, but there are lots of vaudeville actors around this town, and we'll get you up a show like a big-time vaudeville, only probably better as they're good and rested and will be raring to go. Yeah, well, I... Memo number three, uh-huh. JCD to DB. Oh. How is that show coming on? Memo number four, DB to JCD. What show? Memo number five. That board will show you, dope. Yeah. Refer to previous memos under the head fun and frolic and report at once what progress has been made. Well... Memo number six. Oh, that show. It'll be all right. That's all I could get out of you in nine more memos. Yeah, but in memo number 15... In number 15, uh, you say, don't worry, everything's all right. Yeah, it is. Now, listen. Huh? Have you or have you not lined up a vaudeville show as per your promise to me? Oh, sure, but uh, I can't tell you the names of the acts as per my promise to them. Well, they must be fine acts if they have to keep it a secret. Well, see, these people were big names, and if it got out that they were working for this kind of money... Well, what's the matter with my money? Well, there isn't much of it, uh, not for big names. Oh, 
Oh, they're really big names, eh? You bet. You'll be surprised. Oh. Well, listen, does, uh, does one of those names begin with a P? Huh? P.J.? Now, don't try to find out, Mr. Dither. Well, I was just hoping one of them was a good blackface comedian, like Phil Jocelyn. Ever since I was a boy, I've liked blackface comedians. Oh, I wish I could tell you, Mr. Dithers, but I can't. Oh, I insist on knowing at least one of those acts, oh, Bumstead. Oh, if I tell you one, you want to know them all. No, I promise. Just tell me the name of your headline oh, act. Well, okay, just that one. It's uh, uh, Sparkle. Uh, Sparkle? Sure, uh, Sparkle the Great. Oh, Sparkle the Great, eh? Uh-huh. What's he do? Yeah, well, he's a fire eater. Yeah, but listen, what? What? A fire eater? Uh-huh. Now, what kind of a headliner is that? Every carnival for 20 years has had a fire eater. A fire eater wouldn't be a headliner on a dog and pony show. Who wants to see a fire eater? I do. Now, you would. Now, if that's your feature act, the rest of the program must be a sad list. It is not. It's very high class. A lot of singing and all. Oh, singing, eh? Well, I like singing. Well, you like the whole thing. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's getting awfully late. Yeah, look at the time. Come on, Bumstead. We've got to get down there. Oh, wait a minute. Dagwood, huh? have you been lying around in your dress clothes? Well, I was trying to think where my other shoe was, and I kind of stretched out on the couch a minute. And... So did Daisy. Huh? And now you're covered with dog hairs. I'll have to brush you off. Well, I can't wait for any nonsense. I'm going. All I can say to you, Bumstead, uh-huh. is you'd better get down there and get that show going on time. And it better be good. Oh, he can slam a door meaner than any man I ever saw. Now hold still, dear, while yeah. I brush you. Okay. Mr. Dither seems quite worried about the entertainment. That's what I know. Oh, he didn't even like Sparkle the Fire Eater. Well, he ought to know that you had to have some low-priced acts like that to fill out with. Uh, sure, and then, uh, how's that? Uh, low-priced? Why, yes. Hold still while I get that sleeve. Yeah. Sparko didn't cost much, did he? Well, not much for a first-class fire eater. We uh, settled for a hundred dollars. <gasps> Dagwood, huh? you only had three hundred. Well, sure, that uh, that left me two hundred. Uh, well, I wish you'd let me help you do a little bargaining, Dagwood. Well, it wouldn't have done any good. See, Sparko was retired from the fire eating business and all. I had to coax him to make a comeback. Oh, he's an ex-fire eater. Sure, and look at the money he loses when he closes his shop early. What shop is that, Dad? His barber shop. You mean Sparko is a barber? Certainly. Oh, his real name is Tony, but he still eats fire as a hobby. Oh, turn around, dear, while I brush your back. <laughs> One time Tony gave me a hair singe just by breathing on my neck. <laughs> well, that must have been fun, dear. Now, what axe did you buy with the other $200 you had? Oh, I was lucky there, too. I guess you've heard of uh, Helda Skelter, haven't you? No, dear. Well, Helda Skelter was famous. Madame Helda Skelter, the Danish nightingale. High-class songs and Danish pastry and... Pastry? Well, that came later after she gave up most of her singing. She runs a bakery shop now. It's uh, Miss Tranda's over on Main Street. Well, it takes you to find out things about people. I never knew that Miss Tranda could sing a note. Oh, sure. I got real chummy with her one day over a half a dozen Danish donuts. And uh, she got out her scrapbook and showed me her press notices. Uh-huh. <laughs> the notices said she was a fine singer. Well, then what's she doing making those Scandinavian waffles and things? A secret sorrow. Yeah. Am I all bright? Yes, dear. Uh, Dagwood, huh? what secret sorrow? She didn't say, but it uh, drove her off the stage and she wound up in front of the oven. Oh, the poor woman. She must miss the excitement. Oh, the bakery shop isn't dull, she says. She's had a fight not to lose all her money. Oh, she was glad to get that $200. <gasps> Dagwood, huh? If you if you only had three hundred and you paid you paid it out for just two acts? Well, but they're good acts, honey. That isn't it, Dagwood. How are you going to pay the other acts? I haven't got any other acts to pay. You 
You mean that Mr. Dither's mammoth vaudeville show is uh, going to be only two acts? Well, both Sparkle and Madame Helder said they uh, had a lot of friends who might drop in and do something, and just for old time's sake. And might uh, drop in? Yeah, most likely they will. Most likely Mr. Dithers is going to raise the roof when he hears this. We'd better get down there as fast as we can, Dagwood. Come on. <laughs> Blondie, uh, we go right upstairs here. Oh, Dagwood, I don't hear any music or anything going on. No, but this is the place. Oh, look at that sign. Dither's employees get together this way. Yeah, oh, here's another sign, too. Come tonight and bring your girly, but be back on the job tomorrow early. <laughs> oh, look, there's huh? a big sign inside. It says J.C. Dither's Dinner, Dance, and Mammoth Entertainment. Yeah. Oh, look, there's Mr. Dithers kind of walking up and down. He's pacing like a caged lion, yeah. and he hasn't even heard about there being only two actions. Well, I can't understand why there's no noise in there. Hey, maybe we're early. No, we're a little late. What's going on? Nothing's going on, that's what. There's 400 people in there staring at each other. The parties are flopped before it begins. Where's that show you promised me? What? Didn't either of the acts show up yet? Huh? What do you mean, either of the acts? I mean, uh, uh, Spark or Madame Helda Skelda. Oh, those two are in there, but what about... Oh, oh well, then it's okay. <laughs> huh? Um, I'm afraid, Mr. Dithers, that those two acts are the, uh, show. Yeah, you see, it's like this. Wait! I, huh? Do you mean to tell me that those two people are the whole show? You spend $300 on two people who refuse to go on with their acts? Well, I... Huh? Won't go on. Why won't they, Mr. Dithers? How do I know? They won't tell me. All I know is they walked in and got one look at each other and the panic was on. They won't work on the same stage. They won't even speak to each other. Dagwood, what on earth? I, I don't know what it's all about. What did they say? I don't know. Sparkle won't work if Helder Skelter sings and yeah. Helder won't work unless Sparkle uh, sparks. Yeah, how's that again? Mr. Dither says that he will if she won't, but she won't if he don't. Oh, you mean he won't if she don't, but she will yeah. if he doesn't. No, no, it's like no. this. Uh. She won't if he can't, uh -huh. but he doesn't unless he... Well, now, now you got me doing it. Yeah, you must be a little confused, Mr. Dither. Oh, I am. Am I? Maybe you can straighten out this business, eh? If they've had some kind of a fight, we'd better take them one at a time. Listen, I'll go see Hilda Skelda, and you men go talk to Sparkle. Yeah, hmm? Sure. Oh, gosh. I've got to get the show started. I'll say you have, Bumstead, because if you don't, I'll never hold up my head in my own office again. And you, Bumstead, you'll... I, I know. I know. You see, Mr. I don't... Oh, what's that? That's the audience. Waiting for your mammoth vaudeville show. Uh -oh. We'll return to the Bumsteads in a moment, but first a word from the makers of Camel Cigarettes. You know, friends, when you get right down to it, you smokers yourselves are the final judges of cigarette quality. You're the ones who say, this is the cigarette that gives me what I want. And you probably know from your own observation that more smokers prefer camels than any other cigarette. Now that's easy to see. Slow-burning camels are the cigarette that gives you the extras. Extra mildness, extra coolness, extra flavor, and extra smoking per pack. Yes, I said extra smoking per pack. 
In recent impartial laboratory tests, camels burn 25% slower than the average of the 15 other of the largest selling brands tested, slower than any of them. That means a smoking plus equal on the average to five extra smokes per pack. Just a minute, Mr. Goodwin. I'd like to say that camel cigarettes give me real smoking economy. I know. You see, where I live, we have an added state cigarette tax. I figure I save the cost of that tax through smoking camels. Yes, and for those of you who live where there are no added taxes, well, the savings are all yours. Friends, turn to slow-burning camels, the cigarette that gives you the extras. And now we return to Messrs. Dagwood and Dithers in the dressing room of Sparko the Great, alias Tony the Barber. Ah, listen, Sparko, we don't want the money back, see? We want a show. I've got to have a show. The mayor's out there looking at his watch, and that big crowd is all waiting to see you do yourself. Oh, listen, where's your professional pride? Where's that show must go on, Spirit, eh? Your public wants you, Tony. Now, what do you say? Oh, it's no use. He just won't talk. Oh, wait, I think he's going to say something. Look. At last. Mr. Dithers. Yes, yes. I want to ask you one thing. Oh, sure, anything. What? Mr. Dithers, who give you that bad haircut, huh? Oh, I give up. Well, I don't. Now, listen, Tony, I mean Sparkle. You can't let me down like this. Think of all the times I've taken hair tonic I didn't want in your shop. And don't forget all those hot towels I don't like. If I can stand them just to set the other customers a good example, you might do a little fire-eating act for me just this once. I'm a most sad, Mr. Bumstep. You, you needn't need a whole lot of fire, just uh, just a couple of lighted matches, huh? Mr. Boomstep, please, you don't understand. Oh. I think I tell you the whole business, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but make it snappy. Uh, please. That's okay. Uh, listen. Uh, once upon a time... Oh, it's a fairy story. Shh, uh, go on, Sparkle. Uh, once upon a time, when I'm a big artist, uh-huh. I get it ambitious. Yeah, what did you get? Ambitious. Go on. Oh. I think I make the act of great Sparko and a comb. Yeah, Sparko and company, yeah. So I hired this Helder Skelter in my act. Uh-huh. Oh, you hired her to sing in your act? No. I do not hire her to sing. Uh-huh. I hire her to hand me the stuff. All the time she's asking me to let her sing, and all the time I say no. This act, she is a fire-eat act, not a singing act. So... At once upon a time... Ah, oh, this is where I came in. Shh, Mr. Dillers. At once upon a time comes the end. Listen. In this act, I stand on one side of the stage. Elder Skelder stand on the other side. She's holding this candle. You understand? Sure, sure. Get on with it. Okay. First, I eat four or five red-hot coals. Ah, it is beautiful to see me. Then I drink a little bit of gasoline. Oh, gosh. Then I blow this burning gasoline out of the candle and poof. And lit the candle, huh? Always I lighted the candle. Oh. Until one night. Yeah, what happened? One night, I eat the red hot coals. I drink the gasoline. I get ready for my to poof. The... And this held the skull to open her mouth and give out with a high C. She sang? See, she sing. Me, I am a surprise. I choked the hot coal, I goggled the gasoline, I poofed it the wrong way, and scorched the piccolo player. Oh, so that's why you don't like Helda Skelter. I love this woman. The love her? She, all the time, my love. I forgive her the high C, but I cannot forgive the insult. She uh, insulted you, too. Uh, how? Uh, this I cannot speak, no. It is too much what she say. 
Ask her or what does she say to me in the hospital? You go ask her, Bumstead. I'll stay here and keep working on Sparkle. Yeah, I'll go over to Helda's dressing room. Uh, maybe she's already told Blondie. Me, 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 me. An insult, he called it. He said this to me who loved him. Oh, but Madame Helda, um, Skelda, I mean. You call me Helda. We will be friends, no? Well, I hope so. Uh, perhaps he was just touchy because he was sick after swallowing that fire. He had broiled tonsils. Are you sure that just offering him a place in your act insulted him? Yes, he was so proud. His pride was greater than his love. But if he was too proud to join your act, couldn't you have gone back into his act? Oh, no, my dear. You see, that one high C made my fortune. The manager asked me to sing a whole aria. It was a sensation. I was too well known to have hidden myself behind poor Tony Sparks. He knew it. He was jealous. Oh, isn't that a shame? Um, you still love him, don't you? Oh, yes. You know how it is with women. We do not forget. That is why I want him to go on tonight. But you won't go on yourself. Come in. I will go on if he does. But he won't go on if you do. Oh, are you still doing that? Oh, gosh, it's all mixed up, Dagwood. It's kind of professional pride. Yeah, I know. I don't understand how two people who love each other... He, he said that he still cared for me. Sure. Oh, my poor Tony. Yeah. Hey, listen, how about me? I mean, gosh, I counted on you, Madam Helda. Dagwood may even lose his job over this. I am sorry for you, for myself who need the money. For Tony, who needs it, too. Bumstead, I'm Bumstead. Sparkle's fix. You what? I got around him. It costs 50 bucks extra, oh, but I... he will do his act. Oh, then I am happy. I, too, will sing, no? Yes, if you go on first. Sparkle won't open the show. He says it's beneath his dignity. I do not mind. When they hear my voice, it is enough. Listen, I show you how I will sing. What happened? Gosh, what's wrong? Oh, so late. The excitement, it is bad for my voice. I cannot sing. Oh, dang, with that other time, she couldn't sing for weeks. Nerves. Yeah, but she's got to go on first. Or Sparkle won't go on at all. Yeah, maybe we can straighten it out, huh? Go tell the audience the show will be delayed a little, Mr. Dither. Oh, I just oh, told sir. him it was going on right away. Now, get busy, Bumstead. Yeah. Give her some nerve tonic. Give her a Danish massage. Uh, try your voice again. M maybe it'll come back. I... Uh, I will try. Oh, 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 oh. Hey, what's this noise? Who's trying to sing? It, it, it's Madame Helda. No, she has the voice of gold. What I hear is at the crow. Her nerves have gone back on her. Her voice is gone. Helda, carissima mia, your voice is gone. My heart is a break for you. Oh, Tony, my Tony. Hey, I thought you didn't want her to sing. Not with me. But she's a great artist. Her voice must be saved. Tony, hold me close. Ah, see, Carissima. There, there, my little bird, nesting in Tony's arms, so. Do you understand this, Blondie? Yes, dear. They love each other and they admire each other's art, but... Well, I told them they'd have to wait. Hey, what's happened? Huh? Have they made up? See, I have whispered to Helda and she has agreed. We will do my act once more. Yes, I will help your act, Tony. Well, that's fine. Still, only one act. Hey, 
If you two have made up, maybe you could still get some of your old vulnerable friends to help out, huh? Yeah, sure. Take a decent list of names. Phone up. Call a Phil or Jocelyn first thing. Yeah. Phil Jocelyn? The great blackface comedian? Oh, boy. Wait till I tell the audience that. And get on that phone, Bumstead, while I tell them. Okay, I'll call them up. Say, that Sparkle and company are together again. Oh, please. You mean Heldar and company. Please. It is my act, the great Sparko. And I am nobody, I suppose. Oh, well, I told them. <laughs> they applauded. Now, you see, Helda, my public is enough for God. Then go to your public. Leave me. Leave me like an old shoe which has lost its tongue. No. I will not go on. Hey. Now watch now. Go tell the audience there'll be another little delay, Mr. Dithers. We've got to get the name of the act straightened out. Oh, they'll think I'm crazy. Listen, Madam Hilda, it is Sparko's act, and you, Sparko. Can't you be as generous as she was? She wouldn't go on unless you did. She wouldn't stand in your way. Oh, she has a great heart. See, I will be generous. The act shall be Sparko and Hilda. Held up and Sparkle. Hey, hey, Phil Joslin's coming and bringing a gang. He, he says it'll be great to see the Sparkos again. The Sparkos? <laughs> yeah. That's a nice name. Why don't you use that? Helda, it is a good idea, no? Yes, I agree. Helda. Sonny. Ah. Kiss me. Well, I told the audience to wait, but they won't wait much longer. Hey, have they made up again? Yeah, look, Mr. Dithers, go tell the audience the show's going on and no fooling this time. I'll wait. I want these two to tell me themselves this time. Sure, we'll go on right away. Oh, Tony, I am so happy. I could sing for joy. Listen. Her voice is back again. Yeah, gee, that's swell. Say, now she can sing in Tony's act. Bumstead. Uh-huh. You keep out of this. Aha, now it begins again. Uh-huh. Her voice, always her voice. She will sing in the wronger place. Now listen. No, I quit. I'm a through. Oh. Goodbye. Goodbye forever. Darwin, hey, hey, wait. Fuck Now, listen to me, Sparkle. And you too, Hilda. You both love each other, and both of you gave up your careers because of the other. And yet you fight over little things that can be settled so easily. You still think this thing can be settled? Of course it can. How, Blondie? Well, let each one of them do their own act. When Sparko does his act, Hilda will be his assistant and not sing. When Hilda does her act, Sparko will be her assistant and not spout fire. A good idea, Tony, no? See. Si. Tony. Hilda. Oh. Kiss me. Listen, the orchestra just came in. I want to tell him to play an overture. Are we really going to have this show? Yes. Good. Swell. But wait. Oh. oh. Ah, do not be nervous, my friend. It is only that we have one great finish for the show. And at the end, everybody's on the stage. Step on. Everybody's a sing. Yes, they will sing Shine Little Glover and Glimmer. And my Tony will be the Glimmer. See, I am the glowworm. I shoot the sparks all over the place. Okay, but let's get started before we worry about the end. I'm going to buzz the orchestra. Helda, carissima. Dry those beautiful eyes. You must look your best. Yes, Tony. Are you sure you have plenty of kerosene, Tony? Well, Blondie, what? you did it again. Aw. I only hope it stays fixed till this show is over. Well, aren't you interested in what happens to them after the show, Dad? Well, after the show, we all eat, honey. I mean, after tonight is all over. Do you think they'll get along from now on? Oh, sure. Fact is, I've got a great idea for them. 
a combination barbershop and bakery uh -huh. with a floor show of opera and fire eating. Huh? Oh, Dagwood, that's a cute idea. <laughs> and speaking of bakery shops and eating... Oh, Dagwood. <laughs> Well, folks, in just a moment, we'll try and give you a brief synopsis of next week's episode. But first... Extra, extra! Camels give you extra flavor. Extra! Camels give you extra mildness and extra coolness. Extra! Camels give you extra smoking per pack. Try Camels, the cigarette that gives you the extras. Camels bring you three other great shows each week. On Friday night, Camels bring you the Al Pierce program. And on Saturday, there's Luncheon at the Waldorf with Ilka Chase. You'll find it a new high in daytime entertainment. On Saturday night, tune in and hear Bob Crosby and Mildred Bailey featuring music with a heartbeat. Next Monday night, tune in Blondie again when Dagwood takes up the manly art of self-defense. Well, folks, that's a tip for your radio enjoyment. And for your smoking enjoyment, try Camels, the cigarette that gives you the extras. Blondie is played by Penny Singleton, Dagwood by Arthur Lake. Our Blondie Orchestra is directed by Billy Arts, who also creates the special musical effects. This is Bill Goodwin speaking for the makers of Camel Cigarettes. Good night, all. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Speaking of New Year's resolutions, here's a poem for you, friends, so listen. When the year is at the morn, resolutions fine are born. When the year is old and gray, resolutions, where are they? I have the answer here to a season full of cheer. Just resolve to start each day happy, carefree, blithe, and gay. And you know, folks, all it takes to start the day is grape nuts flakes. That's the answer, all right. Eat a good breakfast, do a better job. Because you need an adequate breakfast after a fast of 10 or 12 hours the night before. In fact, dietitian tells us that morning is the time we should get at least one quarter of our entire day's nourishment. Yes, breakfast is the stoke-up meal. And grape nuts flakes are certainly a swell-tasting stoke-up food. They're a whole-grain cereal crammed full of all-around whole-grain nourishment. So for 1944, let's all resolve to eat a good breakfast, do a better job. And let crisp, toasty brown grape nuts flakes Help make it easy for you. Pick up a copy of Conflict with Shadows today from your favorite online bookstore. This is the NBC University Theater, bringing you a full-hour dramatization of Charles Dickens' immortal Pickwick Papers, starring Charles Coburn as Mr. Pickwick. In the past, the radio adapters of Charles Dickens have concentrated mainly on his highly dramatic works. Notably, A Tale of Two Cities 
Great Expectations, and David Copperfield. Today, however, we tap another resource of the brilliant English novelist, his humor. We draw our script from the book known as The Posthumous Papers of the Pickwick Club, and particularly from that section which deals with the trial of Bardell versus Pickwick, one of the most celebrated legal actions of all literature. And to portray Mr. Pickwick, we've invited an actor of major stature. Here now is Charles Coburn, starring in the Pickwick Papers. punctual servant of all work, the sun, had just risen and begun to strike a light, when Mr. Samuel Pickwick burst like another sun from his slumbers. He threw open his window and looked out upon the world of London. And then, with a fond sigh, he took up in his hand, a hand which time and feeding had made more fleshly than firm, his brilliant paper entitled, Speculations on the Source of the Hempstead Ponds, with some observations on the theory of the Tittlebat. Having given vent to this beautiful expression, Mr. Pickwick summoned young Tommy, the small son of his landlady. Will you be a good lad, Tommy, and take this message to Mr. Samuel Weller? Whereupon Mr. Pickwick proceeded to put himself into his clothes. <laughs> what a study for an artist. Mr. Pickwick in his tights and gaiters, which, had they clothed an ordinary man, might have passed without observation, but which, when Mr. Pickwick wore them, if we may use the expression inspired voluntary awe and respect. Oh, Mrs. Bardell. Good morning, Mr. Pickwick, sir. It was, in fact, an extraordinary morning, for Mr. Pickwick had come to a momentous decision, which he now undertook to communicate to his landlady, the widow Bardell. Mrs. Bardell. Sir? Your little boy is a long time gone. It was you, sir, who sent him on an errand. Ah, very true, so it was, to Mr. Samuel Weller. Mrs. Bardell, do you think it a uh, much greater expense to keep two people than to keep one? La, Mr. Pickwick. La, Mr. Pickwick, what a question. Well, uh, but do you? Uh, well, uh, that depends a very great deal on the person, whether it's a saving and careful person, Mr. Pickwick. Very true. But the person I have in my eye possesses these qualities and has, moreover, a considerable knowledge of the world. Ah, Mr. Pickwick. Mrs. Bardell, I have made up my mind. Dear me, sir. You may think it strange I never mentioned this matter before until I sent your little boy out this morning. Oh, yes, yes. Well, uh, what do you think, Mrs. Bardell? Oh, it's so kind of you, Mr. Pickwick, to have so much consideration for my loneliness. Ah, to be sure. When I'm in town, you'll always have somebody to sit with you. To be sure you will. Oh, I'm sure I ought to be a very happy woman. And your little boy will have a companion. Oh, bless your heart. Oh, you dear, you kind, dear man. I could kiss you. <laughs> I will kiss you. Mrs. Bardell, my good, my good oh, woman, please, dear, please, madam, dear. pray consider... Oh, dear me, dear me, what a situation. If anybody should come, you should find us like Mrs. Bardell. Oh, let them come. I'll never, never leave you. 
dear, kind soul. Oh, Mrs. Bartnell, you are choking me. Oh, don't bless my soul. Someone's coming. I entreat you, my dear madam, disengage me. It's a mistake. You, oh, mercy, mercy upon me. She's fainted. Heavens above. A woman in his arms. Mr. Pickwick. What a situation, my dear listener. There stood the innocent Mr. Pickwick with a lovely burden in his arms, speechless, motionless, gazing vacantly on the countenance of Mr. Tupman, Mr. Winkle, and Mr. Snodgrass, his dearest friends, his incredulous friends. I cannot conceive. You cannot conceive? I cannot conceive what's come over this woman. I, I'd say she's fainted. Why, Mr. Pickwick? Uh, yes, Mr. Pickwick. Uh, why, indeed? I'm sure I don't know, gentlemen. I merely... I Yes? Well, I merely announced my intention of keeping a manservant, Mr. Samuel Weller. And she falls into this, uh, this... This extraordinary paroxysm. Uh, gentlemen, I assure oh, you... Oh, nothing at all. Nothing at all, my dear Pickwick. If you will allow us, sir... We'll remove Mrs. Bardell to a, shall we say, more suitable place? Oh, thank you, thank you, my dear Tupman. Thank you, Mr. Winkle, Mr. Snodgrass. Oh, don't mention it. Glad to, sir. Uh, there's a man waiting in the corridor. It must be Mr. Weller. Uh, we'll send him in. Oh. <clears throat> she's, she's rather heavy. Gently, my dear Snodgrass, gently. Here I am, sir. Oh, yes, 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 of course. Queer start, that air. One too many for you. She was, won't she? Have uh, to snap and a pinch or two over. Uh, I, I, I do not care to go into it. Good enough, sir. I want to speak to you about something else, Mr. Weller. Sam, sir. Thank you. Will you sit down, Sam? Thank you, sir. Your hat, Sam. Oh, yes. Not a very handsome hat. Yet every hole lets in some air, sir. Good for ventilation. Uh, <clears throat> now, uh... With regard to the matter on which I sent for you... That's the pint, sir. Out with it, as the father said to the child when he swallowed a shilling. Eh? Oh, oh yes. Sir. I should like to know, Sam, whether you have any reason to be discontented with your present situation. Before I answer that air question, I should like to know whether you're going to provide me with a better. Yes, Sam. I have half made up my mind to engage you myself. Have you, though? Indeed, I have. Wages? Twelve pounds a year. Clothes? Two suits. Work? To attend upon me and to travel with me and my friends. Take the bill down. I'm let to a single gentleman, and the terms is very acceptable. Mr. Pickwick, Sam Weller is your man. Thus, on a single eventful day, my dear listener, no less than an epoch in the life of Mr. Pickwick and in this history... Mrs. Bardell fainted with ill-conceived anticipation, and Mr. Samuel Weller found a position. We shall leave Mrs. Bardell temporarily, even as Mr. Pickwick and his friends take steps to leave her permanently. Easy with the baggage there. Easy it is. Hey, Jimmy! Sam! Sam! What is it, Mr. Tupman? Shh! I don't want Pickwick to hear. Oh! What is it, sir? Snodgrass and I have decided that Mr. Pickwick must leave. But he is leaving the widow Bardell, sir. Shh. But she's in London. Aye? 
He must leave London, Sam. Oh. Painful memories. Change of scene. Where to, Mr. Tupman? No, just the place for him. Town of Eatonswill. Election on, great excitement. Slumkey versus Fizkin. That's where we're going. Eatonswill. Slumkey versus Fizkin. Yes, Mr. Tupman. Who is Slumkey? I'm sure I don't know. But you cheered him. Did I, Mr. Tupman? You did, sir. Well, on these occasions, it's always best to do what the mob do. But, Mr. Pickwick... Yes, Mr. Tupman? Suppose there are two mobs. Why then, Mr. Tupman, shout with the largest mob. It is pleasant to turn from contemplating the strife and turmoil of political existence to the peaceful repose of private life. Mr. Pickwick had a visitor. Persons are waiting, sir. He's not from... The widow Bardell? No, sir. Ah, I was afraid. And the person wants me, Sam? He wants you particular, Mr. Pickwick. No one else will do, as the devil's private secretary said when he fetched away Dr. Faustus. Is he a gentleman? A very good imitation of one, sir. Mr. Pickwick, I presume... Permit me, sir, to shake your hand. Certainly, sir. Mr. Leo Hunter. A great honor, Mr. Hunter. My wife, sir, Mrs. Leo Hunter, is proud to number among her acquaintances all those who have rendered themselves celebrated by their uh, great talents. Uh, permit me, sir, to place in a conspicuous part of the list the name of Samuel Pickwick, Esquire. Thank you, Mr. Hunter. Uh, tomorrow morning, sir, we give a public breakfast, a fête champêtre. May we have the gratification of seeing you there? With great pleasure. When I inform Mrs. Hunter that that remark fell from your lips, sir, she will indeed be proud. Poetically proud. Oh, your wife is a poet? Oh, she dotes on poetry, sir. Have you met with her ode to an expiring frog? Uh, no, I, I don't think I have. You astonish me, sir. Uh, permit me. <clears throat> Can I view thee panting, lying on thy stomach without sighing? Can I unmoved see thee dying on a log, expiring frog? Beautiful. Very beautiful. You may tell the lady I shall be there. Barring the widow Bardell, sir. Eh? No nonsense, Sam. Mr. Hunter, pray inform your wife we can hardly wait for tomorrow. Mr. Pickwick, ma'am. What? Where? Here, my dear Mrs. Hunter. Oh, is it possible I have really the gratification of beholding Mr. Pickwick himself? No other, madam. Mr. Pickwick, I must make you promise not to stir from my side the whole day. To be with the authoress of the expiring fog, the pleasure is mine, madam. Oh, you flatter me, my dear Mr. Pickwick. Oh, Count, a Count. Ah, you want me, madam. Mr. Pickwick, I have great pleasure in introducing you to Count Smalltalk. Um, <clears throat> Count Smalltalk, Mr. Pickwick. Uh, what do you say, Mrs. Hunt? Pig-vig or big-vig? 
No, no, Count. A peak week. Ha, 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 I see. Peak, a Christian name, Weeks, surname. Good, very good. Peak Weeks. How do you do, Weeks? Quite well, I thank you. The Count is gathering material for his great work on England. <laughs> yes, music, picture, science, politics, all things. The word politics, sir, comprises in itself a difficult study of no inconsiderable magnitude. Fine words to begin a chapter. Chapter 47, Politics. The word politics surprises by himself. Uh, Mr. Pickwick. What is it, Sam? A letter, sir. A letter for me? Called at the post office just now and found this here letter. It has laid there for two days. It's sealed with a wafer and directed in a round hand. Here, sir. Hmm. I don't know this hand. Mercy on us. Oh, no, no. Oh, it must be a jest. No, it can't be true. Mr. Tupman, Mr. Snodgrass. What's the matter, Mr. Pickwick? Oh, Tupman, read this. See for yourself. Freeman's Court, Cornhill, August 28th, 1830. Sir, having been instructed by Mrs. Martha Bardell to commence an action against you for a breach of a promise of marriage. Oh, never. For which the plaintiff lays her damages at 1,500 pounds. What? We beg to inform you that a writ has been issued against you in the suit in the Court of Common Pleas and request to know by return of post the name of your attorney in London who will accept service thereof. We are, sir, your obedient servants, Dotson and Fogg. It's a conspiracy, Tupman. Yes. A base conspiracy. Indeed it is. Between these two grasping lawyers, Dotson and Fogg, Mrs. Bardell would never do it. No. She hasn't the heart to do it. Of course not. She hasn't the case to do it. Ridiculous. Of course. Ahem. Very fine, sir. What are you going to do? 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 Um, I thought so. Very well, sir. I'll pack your things for London. Hot water and brandy for the gent. Pot of porter for you, sir. Thank you, my good fellow. For your good health, Mr. Pickwick. Sam? Yes, sir. There's a stout gentleman, an elderly gentleman at that table. He, he seems to know you. Why, he's coming this way. I wouldn't believe it. Samuel. Samuel, my boy. Why, it's the old one. The old one, Sam? What old one? Mr. Pickwick, my father, sir. Mr. Anthony Weller, Mr. Pickwick. How do you do? How are you, sir? It's been a long time, Olden. Why, Sammy, I... How have old codger? How's stepmother? I'll tell you what, Sammy. There never was a nicer woman as a widow. Shh, father, hush up. But I've done it once too often, Sammy. I've done it once too often. Take example by your father, my boy, and be very careful of widows. <coughs> What's the matter with him, Samuel? Has he got a widow? That's what I've been trying to say, Olden. He's got him a widow, all right. Oh, so that's it. Who is he, Samuel? Mr. Pickwick is my employer. Eh? Oh. <laughs> I beg your pardon, sir. I hope you've no fault to find with Sammy, sir. None whatever, Mr. Weller. Very glad to hear it, sir. I took a good deal of pains with his education, sir. Let him run in the streets when he was very young and shift for himself. It's the only way to make a boy sharp, sir. Sharp? That's what's happening to us, Olden. Mr. Pickwick is being took by a pair of sharp lawyers. Lawyers, is it? 
Very bad. Generally fatal. Come now, Mr. Weller. I shall call witnesses to attest to my character. Pardon the expression, sir. Yes, Mr. Weller? I'd like to answer a bit of advice about character. Do you, sir? I'll do that. My advice is, never mind the character. Stick to the alibi. Well, I'll raise me glass to you, Mr. Pickwick. Very best luck in the trial. Bardell against Pickwick. We are come, my dear listener, to the 14th day of February, 1831. A fateful day. The galleries are crowded with spectators. A numerous muster of gentlemen in wigs are in the barrister's seats. Mr. Justice Stirley is nodding peacefully on the bench. And the twelve honest men and true dozing in the jury box. And Mr. Pickwick is deep in conversation with the estimable Mr. Weller. Sam. Yes, Mr. Pickwick. Why are you staring at the jury? Well, I hope that air foreman has had himself a good breakfast. Bless my soul. Why do you hope that, Sam? A good breakfast to jurymen is a capital thing to get a hold of, sir. Is that so, Sam? Yes, sir, it is. A hungry jury always finds for the plaintiff. But, Sam, what difference does that make? I'm entirely innocent. Begging your pardon, Mr. Pickwick. Too innocent. I still hope they've been very properly breakfasted. Silence! Silence! His Honor, Mr. Justice Daly! <coughs> <coughs> Bardell against Pickwick. Who is appearing for the plaintiff, Mrs. Bardell? I am, my lad. Ah, Sergeant Busper. Very good. Uh, who is with you, Sergeant Busper? Mr. Skimpin, my lad. Very good. Who is appearing for the defendant, Mr. Samuel Pickwick? I appear for the defendant, my lad. I see. Anybody with you, Brother Snubbin? Mr. Funky, my lad. Very good. Sergeant Busper and Mr. Skimpin for Mrs. Bardell... And appearing for Mr. Pickwick, Brother Snubbin, and Mr. Monkey. I beg your lordship's pardon. Monkey. What I said, what I said, sir. Monkey. <coughs> Sergeant Busfuss? Yes, my lord. Is counsel for the plaintiff ready? We are, my lord. Then kindly proceed, sir. <clears throat> my lord, gentlemen of the jury, this is an action for a breach of promise of marriage in which the damages are laid at 1,500 pounds. The plaintiff, gentlemen, is a widow. Yes, gentlemen, a widow. Counsel. Yes, my lord. Uh, how did the plaintiff become a widow? Through the decease of her husband, my lord. Uh, the jury will note that fact. Uh, proceed, counsel. And so, gentlemen, the widow Bardell shrunk from the world and courted the retirement and tranquility of Goswell Street. And in her front parlor window... She placed a written placard bearing this inscription. Can the jury read the inscription? No, my lord. Uh, read it for them, counsel. Yes, my lord. This inscription, gentlemen, apartments furnished for a single gentleman, inquire with him. The jury will note that fact. Go on, sir. I entreat the attention of the jury once again to the wording of this document. Apartments furnished for a single gentleman. I ask you a question now. What was Mrs. Bardell's opinions of the opposite sex? Very important point, Counsel. Thank you, my lord. Her opinion, gentlemen, confidence. 
She had no fear. She had no distrust. She had no suspicion. All was confidence and reliance. Mm. A very strong statement, sir. But susceptible of proof, my lord and gentlemen of the jury. Why? Because the late Mr. Bardell was a man of honor, a man of his word. And Mr. Bardell was once a single gentleman himself. The jury will take note of that fact. Yes, by all means, gentlemen, take note of it. Take note of the fact that Mrs. Bardell said to herself, I, a widow with an orphan child, I, Mrs. Bardell, will look for protection, for assistance, for comfort, for consolation. And from whom? From whom do I ask? From a single gentleman. For that was what Mr. Bardell was when he won my young and untried affection. Silence! Silence! Proceed, counsel. Actuated by this beautiful and touching impulse, among the best impulses of our imperfect nature, gentlemen, this lonely and desolate widow dried her tears, furnished her first floor, caught the innocent orphan to her maternal bosom, and put the bill up in her front parlor window. And, my love, yes, counsel. the serpent was on the watch. A being, oh, gentlemen, a being erect on two legs and bearing all the outward semblance of a man knocked at the door of Mrs. Bardell's house. He inquired within. He took the lodging. He entered into possession of them. And, gentlemen of the jury, this serpent, this monster, was the defendant who sits there, that villain, Mr. Pickwick. I can't keep silent. Sit down, Mr. Pickwick. In the name of heaven, that gentleman is a foul liar. To address the court. You contemptible slanderer, I shall have sit you. Sit down, sir. He's trying to provoke you into contempt of court. Please sit down. That's better. For heaven's sake, Mr. Pickwick, if you have to writhe, writhe in silence. Uh, uh, call Elizabeth Cluppins. The nearest usher called for Elizabeth Cluppins. Another one at a little distance off demanded Elizabeth Chupkins, and a third rushed in a breathless state into King Street and screamed for Elizabeth Muffins until he was hoarse. Finally, Elizabeth Cluppins took the stand and was questioned. Do you recollect, Mrs. Cluppins, being in Mrs. Bardell's back stairs on one particular morning in July last when she was dusting Mr. Pickwick's apartment? Yes, my lord and jury, I do. What were you doing on the back stairs, ma'am? My lord and jury, I will not deceive you. You'd better not, ma'am. I was there unbeknownst to Mrs. Bardell. Indeed. I've been out the little basket, my lord, to buy three pound red kidney potatoes, which was three pound tuppence eightney. When I see Mrs. Bardell's street door on the jar. My dear madam, on the what? A partly open, my lord. She said on the jar. It's all the same, my lord. <laughs> A likely story. Well, resume, madam. I walked in, and there was a sound of voices. And you listened, I believe, Mrs. Cluppins. I would scorn the hection, sir. Of course, Mrs. Cluppins, you are not listening. But uh, you heard the voices. 
Yes, sir. Did one of these voices belong to Mr. Pickwick? It did, sir. And what did he say? Well, now, mind you, I wasn't listening, but I heard the gentleman say... Mrs. Bardell, do you think it much greater expense to keep two people than to keep one? La, Mr. Pickwick. La, Mr. Pickwick. What a question. Well, but do you, Mrs. Bardell? Well, uh, um, that depends a very great deal on the person. Whether it's a saving and careful person, Mr. Pickwick. Very true. But the person I have in my eye possesses these qualities. No, Mr. Pickwick. Mrs. Bardell, I have made up my mind. Oh, Mr. Pickwick. It's so kind of you to have so much consideration for my loneliness. I'm afraid it looks very bad, Mr. Pickwick. But you know she misunderstood me. I'll never believe it. They must, sir. I meant only that I was engaging a manservant. I was employing Sam Weller. Silence! Silence in this court! Thank you, Mrs. Cluffins. If the court pleases, my associate, Mr. Skimpin, will continue the questioning of the next witness. Uh, come forward, Mr. Skimpin. Thank you, my lad. Who is your next witness, sir? Call Nathaniel Winkle. From Hollywood, the NBC University Theater is bringing you Charles Coburn in a radio version of The Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. This play is part of a series devoted to the classic novels of Anglo-American literature. If you are interested in supplementing your enjoyment of these productions with home study under college supervision, be sure to listen to the announcement at the close of this program. And now, our intermission commentator the distinguished critic and professor of English at Columbia University, Mark Van Doren. Speaking from New York, here is Mr. Mark Van Doren. The Pickwick Papers was Dickens' first great book. Published in 1837, when he was 25, it sounded like the work of a much older man. But this is always the case with master artists who must discover their worlds early or not at all. The famous world of Dickens is already in this joyous book. It will never be any larger, though it is doomed to be darker with human evil. Even here there is evil and suffering, or as Dickens puts it at the close, there are dark shadows on the earth. But for his hero, Mr. Pickwick, as well as for himself, its lights are stronger in the contrast. Some men, he says, like bats or owls, have better eyes for the darkness than for the light. We have no such optical powers. Both the darkness and the light increase as Dickens goes along. Intended as a humorous novel to be published in parts, the Pickwick Papers more than makes good its intention. It creates at least two immortal characters in Mr. Pickwick and Sam Weller, and thus becomes a comic masterpiece. Mr. Pickwick, commencing merely as one of several eccentrics who form a club, soon outgrows this role. Mr. Tupman, Mr. Snodgrass, and Mr. Winkle remain what they were, but their benevolent, plump friend is transformed by experience into a distinguished person whom we deeply love. Doubtless he is helped in this by the companionship of his wonderful servant, Sam Weller, whose infinite impertinence never hides the fact that he is faithful and wise. 
He is helped, too, by the friendship of Mr. Wardle and his daughters, not to speak of Mr. Wardle's fat boy, Joe. So is he helped, though in reverse, by the knaveries of Mr. Jingle and the downright villainies of Dodson and Fogg, lawyers for Mrs. Bardell. In prison, where he stays for months, he makes acquaintance with human misery at the same time that he realizes the depth of Sam Weller's devotion to him. He emerges not less, but more benevolent than before. His goodness of heart is henceforth pure, unmotivated, and complete. So he transcends at last the entire rich population of his book. This population includes Bob Sawyer and Benjamin Allen, Job Trotter and Sergeant Buzzfuzz, the Elder Weller, Mrs. Weller, and Mr. Stiggins. All have their fascinations. But the god of the Pickwick papers is Mr. Pickwick himself, who shines forever as the sun does on good and evil, angel and fiend alike. Thank you, Mr. Van Doren. Our radio version of Charles Dickens' Pickwick Papers, starring Charles Coburn as Mr. Pickwick, will continue from Hollywood after a brief pause for station identification. Nathaniel Winkle sat in the witness box and was duly examined by Mr. Skimpy, who, being a promising young man of two or three and forty, and anxious to confuse a witness notoriously predisposed in favor of the other side, began as follows. Now, sir, you have the goodness to let his lordship and the jury know your name. Uh, Winkle. What's your Christian name? Uh, Nathaniel Winkle, sir. Uh, Daniel, eh? Any other name? Uh, Nathaniel, sir. Uh, my lord, I mean. Nathaniel, Daniel, or Daniel, Nathaniel? Uh, no, my lord. Uh, uh, only Nathaniel. Uh, uh, not Daniel at all. What did you tell me it was Daniel for, then, sir? I, I, I didn't, my lord. You did, sir. How could I have got Daniel on my notes unless you told me so, sir? My lord, uh, Mr. Winkle has a rather short memory. And now, Mr. Winkle, attend to me, if you please, sir. I believe you are a particular friend of Pickwick, the defendant, are you not, sir? Uh, I, I have known Mr. Pickwick now as, uh, well, as well as I recollect at this moment. Uh, Come, sir, it? yes or no, if you please. Uh, yes, I am a friend of Mr. Pickwick. Yes, you are. Why couldn't you say that at once, sir? And now have the goodness to tell the gentleman of the jury whether you also know the plaintiff. I, I don't know her, but I've seen her. Well, then, did you see her on one particular morning in the month of July last? Yes, sir. Under what circumstances, Mr. Winkle? Uh, I was calling on Mr. Pickwick with my friends, Mr. Tupman and Mr. Snodgrass. Are they here? Uh, yes, they are. They're, they're over there. Pay attend to me, Mr. Winkle, and never mind your friends. Now, sir. Tell the gentlemen of the jury what you saw on entering the defendant's room on this particular morning. That... Must I? Out with it, sir. Mm, well, Come, it was... sir, we must have it sooner or later. Must we? Let the gentlemen of the jury take note that Mr. Winkle is a reluctant witness. Mr. Winkle! Answer the question put to you. Yes, my lad. The, the defendant, Mr. Pickwick, my lad. Louder, sir. Don't tell me. Tell the jury. Yes, my lad. I entered the defendant's apartment with Mr. Tupman and Mr. Snodgrass and... The, Found Mrs. Bardell with Mr. Pickwick. Oh. <laughs> ah, Mr. Winkle. How did you find them? 
Must I, my lord? You must, Mr. Winkle. Out with it. Mr. Pickwick, on this particular morning, appeared to be conversing with Mrs. Bardell in a most unusual manner. Yes, a most unusual and express. Well, what do you think, Mrs. Bardell? I'm sure I ought to be a very happy woman. And your little boy will have a companion. Oh, bless your heart. Oh, you dear, you kind, dear man. I could kiss you. <laughs> I will kiss you. Mrs. Bardell, my good woman. Oh, please, madam, please, pray consider. Oh, dear me, dear me, what a situation. Pray consider if anyone should come. Oh, let them come. Let them come, Mr. Pickwick. I'll never, never leave you, dear, kind soul. Mrs. Bardell, you're, you're choking me. Bless my soul. And where were Mr. Pickwick's arms, Mr. Winkle? Uh, 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 around Mrs. Bardell. Where, Mr. Winkle? Around where? Uh, around her waist, sir. But, but she'd fainted, sir. Irrelevant. His arms were around her waist. But, but I tell you she'd fainted, sir. I didn't ask that. Now, Mr. Winkle, be careful. Yes, sir. Will you undertake to swear that Pickwick did not say on the occasion in question, My dear Mrs. Bardell, you're a good creature. Compose yourself to this situation. Or words to that effect. I, I, I didn't understand him, sir. Will you swear that Mr. Pickwick did not make use of the expression I have just quoted? But but he didn't, I, but I'm sure. Sure enough to swear he did not, Mr. Winkle? Uh, no, I can't swear to it, of course, but... but, but That's but, enough. <laughs> the Lord and gentlemen of the jury, Mr. Winkle will not swear that Mr. Pickwick did not use the words I have just quoted. Great excitement. Mr. Winkle left the box unhappily with a dismal glance at Mr. Pickwick while the court called Samuel Weller. Uh, what's your name, sir? Sam Weller, my lord. Do you spell it with a V or a W? That depends upon the taste and fancy of the speller, my lord. I spells it with a V. Quite right, too, Samuel. Put it down a wee, my lord. Put it down a wee. <laughs> <laughs> Who is that? Who dares address the court? Usher, bring that person down here immediately. Uh, sorry, sorry, Miss Hunter. The person is not to be found. Mr. Weller. Do you know who that was, sir? I rather suspect it was my father, hmm. sir. If he's found, I shall have him committed instantly. Counsel, take your witness. <clears throat> now, Mr. Weller. Now, sir. I believe you were in the service of Mr. Pickwick, the defendant in this case. Yes, I am in the service of that air gentleman. And a very good service it is. Well, little to do and plenty to get, I suppose. Hmm? Oh, quite enough to get, sir. As the soldier said when they ordered him 350 lashes. You must not tell us what the soldier or any man said, sir. It's not evidence. Very good, my lord. Do you recollect anything particular happening on the morning when you were first engaged by the defendant? Yes, sir, I do. Aha! Have the goodness to tell the jury what it was. I had a regular new fit out of clothes. That was a very uncommon circumstance with me in those days. <laughs> You'd better be careful, sir. So Mr. Pickwick said at the time, my lord. I was very careful of that air suit of clothes, my lord. <laughs> Mr. Weller. Yes, my lord. Uh, now, uh, well, uh, never mind. Proceed, counsel. Do you mean to tell us, Mr. Weller, that you saw nothing of this fainting on the part of the plaintiff and the arms of the defendant, Pickwick? Certainly not. I was in the passage, not in the room. Ah, attend me, Mr. Weller. You were in the passage. 
and yet saw nothing. Have you or haven't you a pair of eyes, Mr. Weller? Yes, I have a pair of eyes, and that's just it. Yes? If there was a pair of patent double-million magnifying gas microscopes of extra power, perhaps I might be able to see through a flight of stairs and a door. But being only eyes, you see, my vision's limited. <laughs> Got you there, Counsel. <laughs> uh, Mr. Weller? Yes, sir? Uh, never mind, Mr. Weller. You must step down. Would any other gentleman like to ask me anything? <laughs> There were no further questions for Mr. Weller. Counsel for the defense then addressed the jury and eulogized Mr. Pickwick. Counsel for the plaintiff did likewise and villainized Mr. Pickwick. Then Mr. Justice Stelly read as much of his notes as he could decipher and explained that if Mrs. Bardell were right, it was perfectly clear that Mr. Pickwick was wrong. Upon that brilliant summation, the jury retired to their private room to talk the matter over and the judge retired to his private room to consult a mutton chop and a glass of sherry. Mr. Pickwick sat meanwhile with an agitated countenance and a quickly beating heart. Uh, gentlemen, are you all agreed upon your verdict? We are, my lord. Do you find for the plaintiff, gentlemen, or for the defendant? We find, my lord, for Mrs. Bardell, the defendant. But I am innocent. This is an outrage. <laughs> Silence, Mr. Pickwick, or I shall have you committed for contempt. Gentlemen of the jury, what damages have you brought in? Seven hundred and fifty pounds, my lord. I shall not pay. I am not a single farthing. I shall pay nothing. I tell you, Winkle, I stand on my rights as an Englishman. I shall not pay a farthing. But, Mr. Pickwick, they'll throw you in Detto's prison. I don't care. I shall stand on my rights as an Englishman. But you're a rich man, sir. You can afford 750 pounds. I cannot afford to abandon a principle, Mr. Snodgrass. Too much character, Mr. Pickwick, and not enough alibi. Why weren't there alibi, sir? Mr. Pickwick. Don't argue with me, Sam. I'm not arguing, sir. There's a gentleman outside. Well, I'm ready for him. I made no promise to Mrs. Bardell. I breached no promise to Mrs. Bardell. I shall pay no damages to Mrs. Bardell. Show the gentleman in. I'm ready. Oh, I want their alibi.
that's why you came to the old one, eh, Samuel? That's why, Father. Poor critter. He can't stop there by himself without nobody to take his part. Uh, it can't be done, Samuel. It just can't be done. Of course it can't. I know that before I came. Or they'll eat him up alive. Yes. <sighs> it oughtn't to be, Samuel. No. Don't you see any way of fixing it? No, I don't, Samuel. It's no thoroughfare, Samuel. I'm stopped. Well, I'm not. If we can't bring him to me, we bring me to him. What's that? Father, I'll trouble you for the loan of five and twenty pounds. What good will that do? Ah, perhaps you may ask for it five minutes afterwards. Perhaps I may say I won't pay. Eh? And perhaps you won't think of arresting your own son for the money and sending him off to the fleet prison, will you? <laughs> oh, Samuel, it's a smart head. <laughs> well, what are you sitting there for? Where's the money? Sam Weller, what are you doing here? Are they with melancholy, sir? As the little boy said when his school missus died. Welcome me, Mr. Pickwick. Welcome me to the college. What's this nonsense? As the lady said to the doctor, I'm confined. What's that? I was arrested this very afternoon, Mr. Pickwick. Arrested for debt. You, Sam? You arrested for debt? Bless my heart and soul. Yes, sir. Arrested by a malicious, bad-disposed, worldly-minded, spiteful, vindictive creature for the debt of £25. Well, we must pay it back at once. Very much obliged, sir. But he don't deserve it. I can't have you stay here. And I can't have you stay here. But, Sam, I'm here for a principle. So am I. If you stay, I stay. That's my principle. But, Sam... I beg your pardon, Mr. Pickwick. You're a wasting wind. Sam Weller leaves when Mr. Pickwick leaves. And not a four. <laughs> few mornings after his incarceration, Mr. Samuel Weller, having arranged his master's room with all possible care, betook himself to the prison taproom, stowed a platonic wink on a young lady peeling potatoes, took a refreshing draught of beer, opened his newspaper to the police reports, looked at the young lady, and, since she was still there, found it an act of common politeness to wink again. In this state of abstraction, he heard his name unmistakably proclaimed. Weller. Who wants him? Has an express come to say his country house is a fire? It's me, Samuel. <laughs> what are you roaring at? You looks like an aggravated glass blower. Samuel, I'm afraid I shall laugh myself into an apoplexy. Have you got a pain, Olden? In the bosom, Samuel. Samuel, I've got a plan to get Pickwick out. Quick, what is it? Samuel, me and a cabinet maker has devised a little plan for getting Mr. Pickwick out of prison. All it needs, Samuel, is a piano. Say that again? A piano forty, Samuel. One as won't play, Samuel. Are you drunk, Father? No more than usual, Samuel. No more than usual. But are you awake? I don't know what you mean about a piano that won't play. There ain't no works in it. No works? Empty. Then what's the good of it? Can't you see? It'll load him easy, even with his hat and shoes on. The legs is made hollow. And he'll breathe through the legs. But he'll never consent. It's all very properly planned, Samuel. 
He'll take passage to America. America? Right, sure, Sammy Boo. The American government will never give him up when they find us how he's got money to spend. Then when Mrs. Bardell is dead, or the lawyers is young, he can come back and write a book about the Americans, insulting them good and proper. It'll pay all his expenses. No go, Father. But it's a lovely plan, Sammy Will. Very lovely. But Mr. Pickwick can leave tomorrow if he wants to. All he has to do is to pay the wording. And why in capital H, don't he? Principle. Principle. There it is, Sam. What he needed was less principle at the trial and more alibi. Well, anyhow, it's no go. Something else will have to be found. And pray the Lord it's soon. Aye, the gentleman is looking badly, Samuel. Very badly. Gentlemen, Father, is that what you said? He's an angel. A blooming angel in tights and gaiters. It's a break in my heart. Something's got to be done. Do you believe in Providence, dear listener? At this very moment, Providence is riding in a hackney cabriolet in the person of a certain Mr. Jackson, riding to Goswell Street and the residence of the widow Bardell. Why, it's the gentleman from the lawyer's. Come in, Mr. Jackson. Won't you please come in? Thank you, Mrs. Bardell. I will. Surely Mr. Pickwick can't have paid the damages. Uh, No, Mrs. Bardell. Oh, uh, offered marriage? Uh, That he hasn't, madam. Uh, An important matter has come up, Mrs. Bardell. Very urgent. Can't be postponed on any account. There's a coach waiting at the door. How very strange. Won't you tell me what it is that's so urgent? In the carriage, Mrs. Bardell, if you don't mind. Hmm. Very well. I'll go. Uh, Now, uh, uh, Mrs. Bardell. Yes, Mr. Jackson? Uh, A sad thing about my firm, madam. Sad, Mr. Jackson? Very sad, madam. They've been put to a good deal of cost in the matter of Bardell against Pickwick. Have they? They have, madam. Your uh, bill of costs, I mean. I have no bill, Mr. Jackson. My case was accepted on speculation. Why, you... (laughs) You must get a loss now and then, you know. Uh, uh, Madam... Yes... After the trial, you signed a certain paper. Why, of course. I signed it, a matter of form. <laughs> Certainly, quite a matter of form. A driver, you may stop here. But, but this isn't the address of the law firm. This is... Fleet Prison, madam. Mr. Jackson, what is the meaning of That's this? That's the goodness to step out, Mrs. Bardell. How dare you? Madam, you signed the paper, did you not? Yes, but... Did you read the form, madam? No, but I... they told me I... Madam, oh. in that little paper, you bound yourself to pay the cost of the trial in the event of non-collection from Mr. Pickwick. Mr. Jackson, you can't possibly do this to me. Please, Mr. Jackson. The law is the law, madam. Oh. In my hand, I have an execution on Cognovic for costs. Madam, oh. fleet prison. Oh, Even as the gates of Fleet Prison closed on her, Mrs. Bardell started violently. And there, 
Witnessing the sight stood Mr. Samuel Weller taking his nightly allowance of air. I am ashamed to say, dear listener, that Mr. Weller for once was ungentlemanly. He took his hat off with mock reverence. You there. Don't bother the woman. She's just come in. I like to bother her. She's come to gloat over Mr. Pickwick. No, she's come to stay. Say that again? She's come to stay. She's a prisoner. A prisoner? What for? Speak up, man. Dodson and Fogg. Execution on Cognowick for costs. What do you know? Turnkey, I'd like to send a little message. Why, it's Lawyer Parker. Very glad you looked in accidentally, sir. Mr. Pickwick, gentlemen to see you. So there is, Mr. Pickwick. Parker, glad to see you. But what brings... What are those papers, Mr. Parker? The papers in Bardell and Pickwick, sir. Well, why are they here? They form the subject of our conversation, sir. Mr. Parker, I prefer that subject to be not mentioned. My dear sir, my dear sir, it must be mentioned. The plaintiff in the action, namely Mrs. Bardell, is within these walls. Sam has told me so. And you know why she comes here? At whose suit? Yes, at least I've heard Sam's account of the matter. I'll venture to say his account is a perfectly correct one. Well? I ask you, Mr. Pickwick, whether this woman is to remain here. To remain here? To remain here. Why do you ask me? It rests with the firm of Dodson and Fogg. It does not rest with the firm of Dodson and Fogg. It rests solely, wholly, and entirely with you. With me, Mr. Pickwick? With you, Mr. Pickwick. Her speedy liberation or perpetual imprisonment rest with you and with you alone. Oh, no. Hear me out, sir. Nobody but you can rescue her from this den of wretchedness, and you can do that by paying the cost of this suit, both of plaintiff and defendant. Never. Never, 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 Mr. Pickwick. Mr. Pickwick, I have seen the woman this morning. By paying the cost, you can obtain a full release and discharge from the damages of 750 pounds. But I am still convicted of breach of promise of marriage. You were wrong there. What? I have in my hand Mrs. Bardell's signed statement that this entire business was fomented, encouraged, and brought about by these men, Dodson and Fogg. Mr. Perker, are you sure? Here is the statement. Read it. She entreats me. Mr. Pickwick, she entreats me to intercede with you and implore your pardon. Yes, if I pay costs for her. A valuable document indeed. No, if in the case, my dear sir, whether you pay or not, she absolves you. I don't know what to say. Then trust your heart, sir. But, Mr. Perker... There can be no buts. Not when you have an opportunity of placing yourself in a much higher position than you ever could by remaining here. But there is a principle involved. Oh, people who don't know you would impute it to sheer, dogged, wrong-headed, brutal obstinacy. Brutal, Mr. Perker? Nothing else, my dear sir, believe me. Can you hesitate to avail yourself of this way out? Can you hesitate to liberate your faithful servant, Samuel Weller? Will you doom him to imprisonment for the whole of your life? You, you make it very difficult for me, Mr. Perker. I want... Uh... I, I want... Revenge. Then take a magnanimous revenge and release Mrs. Bardell from this scene of misery. Mr. Perker? Yes, Mr. Pickwick. Will you call Sam, please? No need to call. I'm standing right behind you all along, sir. You always stand behind me, don't you, Sam? God willing, sir, I always will. Some of this is your doing, isn't it, Sam? I ain't a saying. Yes, Mr. Pickwick. Sam sent for me. I thank you, Sam. I hope I never forget. Don't say nothing whatever about it, sir. I only assisted nature, as the doctor said to the boy's mother after he'd bled him to death. <laughs> Very well, Sam. Very well, Mr. Perker. 
I'll do what you both desire. Mr. Parker, you may take the necessary steps. Mr. Perker took the necessary steps for Mr. Pickwick and Mrs. Bardell, and Anthony Weller took the necessary steps for Sam Weller. Sam instantly invested his whole stock of ready money in five and twenty gallons of mild porter, which he himself dispensed to the debtors on the poor side of the prison, hurrahing in divers places until he lost his voice, and then quietly relapsed into his usual collected and philosophical condition. Then... In burst Mr. Tupman. Welcome to freedom, Mr. Pickwick. And also Mr. Snodgrass. We've missed you, Mr. Pickwick. Missed you terribly, sir. And also Mr. Winkle. You, you, you look so pale, sir. Uh, but we'll fix that. We will indeed. Sam, are Mr. Pickwick's things ready? All ready, gentlemen, including Samuel Weller. Then what are we waiting for? Mr. Pickwick, allow me, sir. My arm. <laughs> Mr. Anthony Weller. Good of you to come to see us. Well, it's been months since you was released from prison, sir. It came in my mind to pay you and Sam a little visit. A coincidence. Had you not come, I should have sent for you. What's that? Mr. Weller, did you happen to see a young girl when you came in just now? Yes, yes, I, I see a young girl, Mr. Pickwick. Candidly, Mr. Weller, what did you think of her? I thought she was very plump and well-made, sir. Uh, so she is, so she is. And what did you think of her manners? Very pleasant, sir. Mr. Weller, that young person is attached to your son. To Samuel Weller? Yes, Mr. Weller. Oh, Samuel must be careful. Very, very careful. How do you mean, sir? Very carefully, he ain't led away in an innocent moment to say anything as may lead to a conviction for a breach. Yes, sir. I was married that way myself, sir. And the consequence of that little maneuver was Sammy. You misunderstand me, sir. That young person is not only attached to your son, but your son is quite attached to her. Hmm. This is a pretty sort of thing to come to a father's ears. Oh. Is the lady a widow? No, Mr. Weller. The young lady is not a widow. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Very well. Very well, sir. Seeing as how the lady is not a widow, you may tell him they as Tony Weller's blessing. God bless you, Mr. Weller. You have made me very happy. Let us leave our old friend in one of those moments of unmixed happiness which cheer our transitory existence. There are dark shadows on the earth, but its lights are stronger in the contrast. Some men, like bats or owls, have better eyes for the darkness than the light. We, who have no such optical powers, are better pleased to take our last parting look at the visionary companions of many solitary hours when the brief sunshine of the world is blazing full upon them.
been listening to The Pickwick Papers, an NBC University Theater production of the Charles Dickens novel starring Charles Coburn as Mr. Pickwick. Next week, at the same time, we will bring you another classic of Anglo-American literature, The Marble Fawn by Nathaniel Hawthorne. The present semester of the NBC University Theater is devoted to the classics of Anglo-American literature from the time of Henry Fielding to that of Henry James. If you wish, you may learn more about these authors and their works by enrolling in the college-supervised courses now being offered in connection with the NBC University Theater, the University of Tulsa in Oklahoma, Washington State College, and Kansas State Teachers College have now completed their plans for offering such a course in the coming months, thus joining the University of Louisville, whose established home study plan is already serving listeners in another area of the nation. For information, then, as to how you may enhance your knowledge through these courses, write to the NBC University Theater in care of the University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, Washington State College, Pullman, Washington, the University of Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Kansas State Teachers College, Pittsburgh, Kansas. I'll repeat that. For information, write to the NBC University Theater in care of the University of Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, Washington State College, Pullman, Washington, the University of Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Kansas State Teachers College, Pittsburgh, Kansas. The Pickwick Papers were adapted for radio by Morton Wishengrad. Our intermission commentator was Mark Van Doren. Starred as Mr. Pickwick was Charles Coburn, who will soon be seen in the Universal International production, The Western Story, co-starred with Ivan DiCarlo. Our cast included Ramsey Hill, Norma Varden, Gray Stafford, John Fraser, Tom McKee, Nelson Welch, Whitfield Connor, Booth Coleman, Donald Morrison, Eric Snowden, Pat Ahern, Crawford Kent, Queenie Leonard, Ben Wright, Carl Harbord, Raymond Lawrence. Your announcer, Don Stanley. The original musical score was composed and conducted by Dr. Albert Harris. The director of the NBC University Theater is Andrew C. Love. Next week, be with us again for the NBC University Theater dramatization of Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Marble Fawn, starring Lynn Barry. <laughs> This program came to you from Hollywood. Here's Morgan. For goodness sake, on NBC. Thank you for listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's shows. Visit our website at www.strangerspilgrims.com. 